from the newsroom of South Coast Today. This is ST Speaks, a podcast diving deeper into the news of the day and covering hot button issues that matter to you. You're listening to ST Speaks. Welcome back to the Courtside with Kurt podcast alongside longtime Standard Times Courts and Cops reporter Kurt Brown. I'm Standard Times digital editor Brennan Curie. How you doing today, Kurt? Very good. It's been a long day. It has. So today was the Michelle Carter appeal in front of the state Supreme Judicial Court. The highest court in the state. And so they are taking a look at this case because this is really kind of an unprecedented case. Yes. They uh, normally manslaughter cases go to these uh, mass appeals court, but the uh, SJC reached down and they took it on what's known as direct appellate review. So uh, it is before them. So you watched the uh, hearings. It was uh, broadcast live over the Internet with, with a few issues. Oh, a lot. Of, an awful lot of issues. Yes. Uh, so, and, and we'll get to that yeah, later but on. What were, what were some of your first takeaways? Uh, that the defense came charging right out of the box <clears throat> on this issue. The, um, the defense has a, a quite a star-studded defense team, the, and <clears throat> the presenter was Daniel Marks. And uh, after uh, he introduces himself to the court, he he, um, he comes right out and says, Michelle Carter is the first person ever in Massachusetts or anywhere else to be convicted of involuntary manslaughter for verbally encouraging another person to commit suicide, even though Michelle, who was 17 at the time, was not physically present when Conrad Roy took his own life and did not physically provide him the means to do that. The two big takeaways from that is that she was not physically present and that she did not provide him with the means. Um, Those are uh, two of the big issues in the defense's appeal, that uh, at the time she was having a phone phone call conversation with uh, Mr. Roy. In the... Parking lot of the former Kmart in Fairhaven. They were speaking on cell phones. Um, the attorney says that when he says that she did not provide him with the means, that uh, she there was a gas-powered generator uh, in the back of his truck that was uh, uh, generating um, carbon monoxide and. That's what uh, ultimately uh, killed Mr. Roy. So a lot of this case hung on kind of one specific point where he uh, got out of the truck, and then she supposedly she we don't have a direct the direct communication that happened at that moment. That's correct. But she encouraged him to get back on the truck. Uh, she told she told a friend later that that's what she did that in that has, moment, and that's really kind of what the whole case is hung on. That has. Everyone has called that uh, of the linchpin of the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've interviewed Judge Bettina Borders, uh, the juvenile court judge who uh, 
who found probable cause for this to go to trial, she told me that, in her words, that this was a linchpin. Uh, uh, The trial judge, Judge uh, Lawrence J. Moniz, in Tartan Juvenile Court, also found this was the pivotal moment. When this case, before trial, this case went before the state Supreme Judicial Court to the, uh, on the issue, on appeal, on the issue of probable cause. The SJC at the time also found that get back in the truck justified probable cause. So yes, you're absolutely right that that is the crux of the case. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, kind of the cornerstone there. And the chief justice brought it up today mm-hmm. and asked the uh, prosecutor, Shoshana Stern, mm-hmm. uh, if not for that text message, mm-hmm. uh, would there have been sufficient evidence mm-hmm. uh, to convict? And she said that quite possibly there would not have been. That is correct, yes. So even the prosecution is saying that this is our kind of one piece of evidence that that's for right. them puts it you know, into the conviction right side and it came out today too that uh, for the first time that this was revealed uh this get back in the truck line was revealed two months after mr roy's death in a uh, text message from michelle carter to a friend mm-hmm. i think that's something that, that maybe some people didn't quite understand is that the actual communications that they had that night when he was in the kmart parking lot we don't have the. It was a phone conversation. Right. It was a forty-seven-minute phone That's conversation. Right. So it's not like those are just out there, and we know exactly what the communications were between them on the night of it. Obviously, there were lots of text messages, and some, you know, maybe not to the point of guilty, but some that certainly, from a moral standpoint, were quite, quite, you know, not even questionable, but yeah. outrageous from her. Oh, ab- moral, morally reprehensible. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so the the defense seized on that uh, point that, that we're just discussing now and said that there's no corroboration of that text message. Exactly. Yeah. So it's it's her quoting herself to a friend two That's months right. later. Yes, you're absolutely right. And we also know that she wasn't perfectly honest in a lot of other text messages after the situation, especially with Conrad Roy's family. You're absolutely she right. She was very deceptive in some of those. So the defense has also said that um, uh, that their belief is that words alone uh, cannot you, is not sufficient to find somebody criminally responsible for involuntary manslaughter. But that there has to be precedent of the opposite. So it also got brought up like street gang leaders. Mm-hmm. So if they put a hit out on you know they say hey go kill this guy. Right. Those are words, right? Those are and words. that guy can get convicted for those words. Uh, those so are- there is some level of precedent where you know you can hire you can say something to somebody not necessarily hire but say something to somebody they go commit the crime and you are responsible. And that's why you and I are journalists and uh, <laughs> the seven justices of the state supreme uh, judicial court are empowered to decide these issues. And so yeah, these are going to be uh, hefty oh. decisions and uh, Extremely. And, and there could be, you know, this is setting precedent for the future. I mean, sure there will is. be cases in the future that will look back on this case and cite this case. You're, oh, you're absolutely right. Uh, um, prosec- was, go ahead. Was there anything that kind of came up today that, that we hadn't really known about during the first trial? Anything new I think discovery, uh, new information? Uh, all this, the elaboration of get back in the truck. Mm-hmm. Was, the timeline of it. Yes, was especially illuminating. Uh, the, the fact that uh, we knew that 
the get back in the truck came back it came in a telephone conversation between Michelle and uh, and Conrad uh, but we didn't know was how prosecutors learned about it how prosecutors learned about it was two months later she revealed it herself in a text message to a friend mm-hmm. now uh, so how what what happens next what's the next step with this it's going to take a little while right oh um the high court has a 130-day rule that uh, it they, likes that's to... That's their timeline that they have to decide in? Well, not have to, because okay. sometimes they can go over, and sometimes they um, uh, um, sometimes they make the decision a little before 130 days. But I would look for this maybe in January uh, of next year. Watching the judges and the questions they asked, did you... Did you get a kind of a sense which way they might be leaning, or was it hard to tell? Or, uh, I mean, I'm sure they ask a lot of their questions specifically, you know, to to not reveal uh, what their thinking is. Well, the, I talked to uh, Joseph Cataldo, who was the trial attorney for Michelle Carter, and now he's still part of the defense team. He was very heartened by the questions and uh, that they asked the two attorneys. Uh, he says that from day one, he has remained optimistic about this case. Uh, he feels that while many of the things that Michelle Carter said were morally reprehensible, that he doesn't believe there's a criminal violation here. But again, that's, that, for that's a distinction they're drawing is behind uh, what's morally wrong and what's criminally wrong. That is correct. And I don't think anyone was trying to argue that she was doing the right thing. Yeah. The, the defense made some very good points today. They said that the um, prosecutors never offered any evidence that um, if first responders had gone to the Kmart parking lot, whether they would have been able to revive uh, uh, Mr. Uh, uh, Roy. Mr. Roy. And, uh, and that is important because the trial judge, uh, Judge Moniz, said that Michelle Carter had a duty when she realized that uh, Conrad was in the process of taking his own life to either call Fairhaven authorities, uh, Fairhaven Fire Department or the police department, which were, uh, their headquarters were in close, are in close proximity to Kmart, or his family. So the defense came back today and said, there's no evidence to say that uh, her if, reporting it would have saved him. It would have would have saved him. The now they also brought up a situation where, like, are you responsible for calling in a fire? Mm-hmm. If you see a house on fire, is there a responsibility to call that in? Mm-hmm. Did they actually? I heard them ask that, but did they actually answer that question? Was no, it, they did not. Like, is because yeah, I was actually was con- I wondered about that myself. Like, mm-hmm. if you see a fire, do you have a legal responsibility to act in any way? Um, it's curious. It sure is. Uh, the the prosecution made some good points too. That the, the, they've uh, asserted that the at some point the balance in a power in their relationship between Carter and Roy shifted um, in the time approximately around July third, uh, two thousand and fourteen, and. Michelle started to become extremely aggressive, and uh, that into account all those uh, really n- nasty. I'll, I'll just read one. Here's from July 11th. Uh, 
Con- this is from uh, Michelle Carter. Conrad, I told you I'll take care of them. This is referring to his family. Uh, actually, this was, sorry, that was not the... Uh, there we go. I thought you wanted to do this. The time is right, and you're, you just need to do it. You can't keep living. You just need to do it like you did last time and think about it and just do it, babe. You can't keep doing this every day. So that's the encouragement towards doing it. But it seems like they doesn't become criminal until she actually tells him to get back in the truck. Mm-hmm. Um, now, but again, this is all new waters that everyone is kind of wading into and trying to figure out as they go. Um, and I, I did think one thing was interesting before we move on. Mm-hmm. He said that no one else has been convicted of involuntary manslaughter for this, but mm-hmm. there are instances where people have been convicted of assisted suicide. But Mass where, doesn't have an assisted exactly. Suicide. So that was so that was why she was convicted for involuntary uh, manslaughter. manslaughter because there is no assisted suicide. Right. But in other states, I actually was in a newspaper where we covered. Uh, we talked about in an earlier podcast a man who was convicted of encouraging people to commit suicide over the internet. Uh, he would go into chat rooms. He would help people come up with ways to kill themselves. And uh, multiple instances in, in his case, he was convicted. His conviction ended up getting overturned by the Minnesota State Supreme Court. And then he was actually retried and found guilty again and did end up serving time. 46 So uh, it's not states. a completely unprecedented scenario. No. Oh, no. uh, but here in Massachusetts, I guess it has, we haven't really delved into these waters. 46 states have assisted suicide wow, laws. It's that many. I didn't realize. Yeah. Well. So we are one of the four that does not have it. Uh, Michelle Carter was tried, since we don't have an assisted suicide law, she was tried under the state's homicide statute. In other words, the wrongful taking of another life. So this could be totally different if there was an assisted suicide statute. Mm-hmm. Um, the prosecutor, Shoshana Stern, uh, said that after Conrad's uh, failed suicide on July 3rd, that uh, she was absolutely furious with him, going so far as to say that she felt that she was played. And she said, I thought you were serious. You're going to have to prove it to me. And then Conrad replied, I'll prove it to you. And a few days later, he took his own life. Now, you talked to David Siegel, right? I He's did, a, yes. a criminal law professor at New England Law in right. Boston. And what were his thoughts? Um, he had said that uh, the court demonstrated that it is extremely interested in the sufficiency of the evidence and the constitutional issues that are uh, involved here. Um, and he said the crux of the case is to what degree a person can be convicted of involuntary manslaughter, quote, just through communications, unquote. Mm-hmm. He and says yeah, that... It comes down to how much words matter. You're absolutely right, yeah. Um, Although, like we said earlier, there is some precedent that words do matter in involuntary man. We talked about, you know, street gang crime leaders and, you know... Uh, and... and um, the SJC, um, Judge Borders, and Judge Monis all said that the crux, the linchpin, whatever you want to call it, is get back in the truck. Mm-hmm. Get back in. Yeah, it was that moment that, uh, that, moment. that it, it turned from just being, like we said, morally reprehensible to criminal. Criminally liable. Criminally liable. Yeah. But, so, so, yeah, now, and there's not, this was just one day of hearings, right? This, this one, isn't extending anymore. One hour. One hour. So it was over quick, huh? <laughs> yes, it was. As, as opposed to the trial itself. Yeah, and this is all or nothing. Uh, either the uh, 
The conviction will be thrown out, and that'll be the end of it. Double jeopardy will be attached. She'll never be uh, tried again. Uh, or the conviction will be uh, um, affirmed, and she will serve her sentence at the Bristol County Health and Correction, which is... Now, could she appeal it federally? She can, but yeah. the stay of the sentence only applies to the state courts. Okay. So, so she would be sitting in jail or in prison right. while she went through a federal appeal. That is, uh, and that is not definite yet. Uh, the defense has... Yeah, we don't know that she necessarily would appeal right. it to the federal level, but if she right. did, right. she would already be sitting in prison. They have uh, suggested that uh, they would pursue all avenues available to them. So now we want to just touch upon uh, we uh, we watched this live on the uh, Suffolk Law School's uh, <clears throat> website. Uh, Suffolk Law School has a part; it's a partner with the SJC, where they'll uh, run st- live streams of all oral arguments. Um, of SJC and appeals court hearings. It's extremely helpful. Uh, But uh, the live stream was broken. It was Mm -hmm. choppy uh, today. Um, And almost the entire um, prosecution, the prosecutor's oral argument was uh, you you couldn't hear it. We went back and forth with the uh, law school, and uh, the end result of it is that uh, it is... uh, Posted the live stream is posted on their uh, on Suffolk University's uh, website. So if you go to suffolk.edu backslash sjc, then you look at archives, and then you go to the uh, left hand side for October hearings. Um, it is there because because I've watched it. Yes. There was a lot of reading the tea leaves, too, wasn't it, kind of, as you were watching it? Did it feel a little bit like sometimes when a jury's been sent off to deliberate, they come back with some questions, and everyone tries to read those questions to determine which way the jury is leaning? I'm sure it felt a little bit like that, trying to read the judge's questions. Uh, And when the issue of probable cause went to the SJC, uh, the justices asked the predominantly asked questions to the defense. this time they were equally shared between the two sides. They certainly get the gravity of, of, of this case. Yes, they certainly know that they're, they're making a decision that will be referred to for years to come. For many years to come. It could affect law in other states as well. Big decision coming here, but it probably won't be until next year mm-hmm. or early next year. Right? Yeah. All right. Well, All right. that was the uh, state Supreme Judicial Course Kate Court hearing of the Michelle Carter Conrad Roy case uh kurt has a great story out in tomorrow's standard times it'll be online at southcoasttoday.com you talked to everyone involved you found I some did. experts you got both sides of it in there mm-hmm. i think it's a real fair look at what's going on we tried hard yeah and as always kurt makes a great effort with that and uh you can follow him on twitter at uh, kurt brown underscore sct you can listen to this podcast uh anywhere you get your podcast but itunes omni stitcher google play if uh, you like the podcast please give us a nice little rating there Uh, so more people can find it and listen along. Thank you, Brendan, very much. Thank you, Kurt.